0: Hi there, Chris and Reese here. Just before we begin, we're talking about some films with adult content today, aren't we, Chris?
1: Yes, we're talking about Crash, which um, has some uh, erotic content.
0: If you're listening with kids or with anyone who'd rather not listen to that kind of thing with, maybe listen to it in private with the headphones on.
1: We have done our best to make it not too explicit. Yeah. But unfortunately, the film is
0: very explicit. Enjoy the show. Reese and Reynolds have spent the day fixing cars. They're about to have a barbecue. This is The Fast and the Furious. Reese, could you give me a hand with this setup? Sure, but first, Chris, can I ask you if I could do the you're listening to" bit today? I always thought I did it quite well. You do, you do. This is your
1: barbecue and it tastes good, man. Reese, that's the wrong movie, but okay, you can do it if you say grace first. Thanks.
0: Dear Heavenly Streaming Services, thank you for providing us with so much content. Thank you Twitter for the hot takes and thanks to Podbean for hosting. Please give us our daily movie fix, and forgive those who trespass against art.
1: Reese, I think you've forgotten something. What have I forgotten? You've forgotten that you're listening to Bigger Pictures with Chris Reynolds and
0: Reese davis santi banyeth Welcome, this is indeed Bigger Pictures, the only movie podcast that drives two movies into each other at full speed. Today we're discussing The Fast and the Furious and Crash, two car films that seemingly have nothing in common. But what have they got going on underneath the hood? Stick around to find out. It's worth noting that today's podcast, more than ever before, has spoilers. This is to improve traction by creating better airflow. And they also look cool. That took me a second to get. (laughs) I'm I'm giving you a little round of applause here. Uh, That's very good. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you. Chris, I'm so excited about today's show. So excited, in fact, that I've brought on our very first surprise guest. Wow. You've no doubt know the star of Fast and the Furious, Vin Diesel. Well, please join me in greeting his conjoined twin, Venn Diesel. Uh,
1: (laughs) I came up with an excellent Venn diagram joke. You're listening to Bigger Pictures, the podcast, which is like half an Audi logo. (laughs) I'm I'm very pleased with myself for that. I thought I was thinking ahead and being clever. Reese, I have a question to ask you. Far away. Have you ever been involved in a high-speed car chase?
0: Um, no.
1: No, neither have I. But I just (laughs) thought I'd ask, just in case I was missing out on some very important sort of insight. This week, Reese, of course, we're talking about movies that feature cars. And, of course, movies that feature cars are are well-known for their excellent scripts, (laughs) stunning acting really really good direction but also for car chases as well what i sort of thought we could do just quickly at the start here is have a think about what makes a really good car chase
0: hmm Yeah, okay, so what what are some of your criteria?
1: As you know, I base my thoughts on every movie based on the James Bond films because that was what I grew up on. (laughs) Uh, Mother Reynolds (laughs) would bring me downstairs and she'd say, for breakfast you're having from Russia with Love, followed by (laughs) Goldfinger and and whatever else. Um, And that was basically what I lived on. So I have to rate everything based on, on James Bond films. And car chases, of course, are a mega important part of it. What makes them really special are the sort of super amazing stunts they do. So before this podcast, I sent you a clip from the man with the golden gun. Have you ever seen the man with the golden gun?
0: I've seen enough of it.
1: <laughs> I've seen more than I care to. When you say you see more than you care to, is it just that one, one minute? I've seen, clip? I've seen the
0: scene that you sent me. <laughs>
1: <laughs> so um the man with the golden gun is a really bad film it's this there's little to defend it apart from it's got christopher lee in who at one point goes ah mushrooms and that's about it but anyway within the film there is one bit where they are having a car chase it's a pretty dull car chase until they get to a river and they have to get across and there's like a twisty bridge that's missing the bit in the middle and basically they then they decide to drive over the twisty bridge which is On the one hand, really impressive, because it was actually a stunt they actually did, and the bloke who was meant to do it was ill or something on the day. So they just picked a random camera guy and said, sit in this car and drive it at 45 miles an hour, and you'll be fine. And Cubby Broccoli gave him a big wad of cash. Wow! Jesus. Yeah, they, they just sat this bloke in this car and like, off you go. Have fun. Here's a big wad of cash, and the guy was fine with it. Yeah, they said it was a huge wad of cash. Unfortunately, what slightly ruins it, I, the dub in they have just before as he sets off, where you can hear Roger Moore goes, "Have you ever heard of evil Knievel?" <laughs> it's like. <laughs> line like we know what you're doing that's the first thing that ruins it the second thing is as it spins around on the ramp did you notice the swanny whistle yeah. <laughs> it's like a really really brilliant really sound. but it's a really really impressive stunt and then they they just ruin it but basically i've rambled on too long about one terrible scene in the man with the golden gun Reese. What is your favourite car chase?
0: I think the best car chase, like the best action scenes in general, are those where the action also tells a story. Where it's like the vehicles are characters themselves, and they're actually talking to each other. Oh is, no, yeah, no! I know. No, no. So the best example of this, yeah, no, you can't exactly stop me, Chris. It's Disney's say. cars. No, Disney's en- cars is the pinnacle of car films. <laughs> I really
1: want to swear. I, I just, I, I have no <laughs> response. <laughs> Yeah, what what in your opinion makes Disney's Cars so excellent as a car chase film?
0: Well, I feel like I've explained myself very clearly. It's like the cars are characters. It's like when they're driving alongside, they're having a conversation. <laughs> Other contenders are Cars 2 and the Bob the Builder movies. Maybe Herbie Fully Loaded. Yeah, I'm still here. I'm just I just have no response. <laughs> Oh, I,
1: I stand by Herb, it. Herbie Fully Loaded. Herbie Fully Loaded. Really? <laughs> Herbie Fully Loaded. Yeah? What's you that? might as well have said Chitty Chitty Bang Bang, which is a never ending film, and even Dick Van Dyke can't say nah, it.
0: There, there are no chases in. Ch- are there chases? I in Ch- don't Ch- care. Bang
1: bang? Anyway, now that you've um, totally, in every way, undermined the point of a movie about cars. <laughs> Um, shall we get on to talk about our first exciting and wonderful film the fast and the furious
0: the fast and the furious is a 2001 action film written by gary scott thompson and david Ayer and eric burquist and directed by rob cohen when brian an undercover police officer infiltrates a crew of street drag racers he has to choose between his career and those he cares about before circumstances choose for him uh so chris why don't you give me just like the quick one-sentence review of this film. Can I respond to your question with a question?
1: Do you think that the characters in this movie are fast and furious? Or or do you think that they are something else?
0: I mean, the cars are fast. I think some of the drivers are quite miffed. <laughs> so yeah, w- broadly. The speedy and the miffed doesn't have the same ring to it.
1: I, I didn't think they were furious. I, I, th- I thought a lot of the drivers were more disenchanted. Um, <laughs> uh, and And they were quite fast. But I couldn't work out which the fast ones were meant to be. So I think the fast and the disenchanted would be a better sort of name for
0: it. But then you miss out on the alliteration. When I was watching this film, I almost watched the wrong one. I realised at the last second I was watching the 2009 film because they've got one that's called Just Fast and Furious, and this one is The Fast and the Furious.
1: This is the original one, isn't it? That we we basically have watched.
0: Well, it's it's the original one of this franchise. There's one in the 50s as well that's also called The Fast and the Furious, but I don't really know how that works unless it's just penny farthings <laughs> souped up with a uh, nitrous boost. <laughs> it's just a
1: set of To Kill a Mockingbird, but like with everyone like sort of going around on tractors really fast. <laughs> to explain the Fast and the Furious franchise, it's Basically, they had some fast cars and then they made them go faster and it got more and more ridiculous. So it started from this film, which is about people stealing televisions, to... A film with Jason Statham and The Rock fighting Superman or something.
0: Okay, but we're not reviewing the whole franchise today. We're just talking about this one film. And I I surprisingly enjoyed this film. I'd seen this film before, but the first time I watched it, it didn't really stand out to me. I thought it was just a random car film with a few r- extra rooms. But we have a mutual friend who kept talking this up. I always thought he was talking out of his exhaust pipe. <laughs> but now that I've watched it... Well, what is there to enjoy about this film? I don't give ratings to films normally, but this gets maximum numbers from me. Th- this gets
1: decimal numbers for me it's decimal numbers it's terrible <laughs> there is one good scene in this film and that's it which is the scene where they have a fight on the side of a truck and it's a really impressive set of stunts the point of this film clearly is meant to be oh look fast cars driving you out they're fast and the drivers are a bit mean they're furious ah no
0: no I, I don't think so I think you're wrong okay, pr- prove me wrong I think Pro- that's not the point of the film no, that's just a red herring that no, throws you off it's not a red
1: herring it's the okay. whole point of the film go on prove me wrong look shove my red herring okay, in my face I can face. prove you wrong
0: what are you sandwich crazy (laughs) look listen chris if you want time buy the magazine (laughs) cheesy one-liners aside which are like a staple of hollywood you can draw out the subtext of this film in two key scenes (laughs) Subtext. The, the first one when vin diesel's character dom says that you know he lives his life a quarter mile at a time because It's painfully obvious when you're watching this film that these characters do not live stable lives. And that's why they're forced into stealing electronics. But like the thing is that it's obvious that he's running from something. He is not planning his life out in advance. He's not making good choices. And that defines his character. And I think you can get that level of character psychology in a film that's otherwise just about fast cars. It's fantastic. The other bit that's really important to this film is the scene where Dom and Brian, the undercover police officer and the guy he's investigating, sit down to eat shrimp. And Brian says, I want in on whatever you're doing on the side. Mm-hmm. And there is just like a moment where the camera just hangs on Dom and we just we just stare at him while he's thinking something over. And you can project onto that whatever you want. And it's, it's just fantastic. It's like it's a moment of stillness in an otherwise chaotic film.
1: The projection that I had on that bit was that Vin Diesel can't act and he's better off saying I
0: am Groot <laughs> in Disney films. He doesn't need to act. Doesn't need <laughs> he doesn't to act. need to act. He doesn't need to act. He is terrible. Cinema is built on the idea that you can project onto a blank face whatever you want, whatever you're feeling at the time, based on what's edited just before and what's after it. The Coolish of effect.
1: And it's here and it's powerful. Um, can I can I t- tear you down a tiny bit and give you my thoughts on my a quick summary <laughs> of what I actually think about this? Yeah, go on. This, to me, is a <laughs> stupid, masculine, macho film based entirely on having fancy-looking cars drive about far I <laughs> Pointlessly in straight lines. I mean, why do you need to drive it in a straight line? Why do you find the road? <laughs> What's are your that problem with straight, straight line
0: races? Straight line races are good, honest, hard working races. We don't need your bougie circular races it's here. It's
1: entirely based on um, whether people have a button that says nitro to go a <laughs> tiny bit faster. Every scene is stuffed full of sponsorship. To at one point they're about to start a race and a guy in a Pizza Hut bike comes up and he's like, "I go deliver some pizza," and they're like, "Oh, go away, Pizza Hut man." And then there's another bit when they're about to drink some beer. And and Vin Diesel says, I'll have anything as long as it's Corona, which is a reference to Ford's, you can have it in any color you like as long as it's back. But of course, they have to get the product placement name in there. Um, Honda seem to constantly yeah. be in yeah. there. Everyone drives Hondas. And I thought Hondas were pretty rubbish cars, but apparently they're not. It's just like so much product placement.
0: I agree. I agree. The business of Hollywood is messy and corrupting. But I think, you know, if Sophocles had written Oedipus Rex today,
1: it would look like this film. <laughs> no,
0: and also, also... like Just no, Reese. just no. <laughs>
1: you mentioned the plot at the start. An hour in, I was like, I've got no clue what's going on. And, like, it's so overcomplicated, they should have just gone... Don't worry about the plot. Let's just have some cars drive about fast. They could have made Disney's cars. That would have been a better idea than trying to put a plot in this movie. Basically, Paul Walker is the world's most obvious undercover detective. And one of the guys is like, he's clearly an undercover detective. And it's like, yes, yes. He turned up randomly at someone's restaurant and kept asking for tuna sandwiches until he got noticed. Uh, like, like, what, 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 what do you really want? It's nonsense. I have no clue what's going on. And then right at the end, there's a bit where they're like, oh, this is your chance to catch Vin Diesel. And rather than trying to catch Vin Diesel, he has a street race with him. Mm. And it's like, why are you doing this? Are you just stupid and moronic? Like, you know, this is your job. Your job is to catch Vin Diesel, not to have a race with him at the end to see, you know, whose car is the fastest.
0: I think I could answer all of your questions, Chris. I
1: don't have any questions. I don't want to know anything more about this film. It's rubbish.
0: And it comes down to that last drag race. That's the thing. The story isn't about going in a straight line from A to B. Because the races do that for you. It's an incredible film that's about riding that emotional roller coaster, not necessarily about making sense of it all. And I want to recreate for you now by describing the final race of the film and just walk you through all of the twists and turns.
1: Before you do it, just to give it one credit, the the truck chase scene and the final race at the end are actually both really well done the actual way it's it's oh they're fantastic yeah, and there, there is a there is a payoff to it to some extent it doesn't justify the previous hour and 40 minutes of just utter rubbish but well yeah, I, it,
0: don't, I don't think it is utter rubbish it all builds up to that final race and it's so emotionally charged because wow. like as you're saying like when he started off this was just a job to him but he's gotten close to these people he's emotionally involved with them and so when at the end Brian and Dom pull up to a pair of traffic lights that Dom used to do street racing at when he was a teenager, and he's driving his father's car, the car that his father died in. You know, that's already emotionally packed. And if Dom can get away, then Brian will let him go. But if Brian wins, Dom will come quietly. Right? That's how it's set up.
1: Yeah.
0: And it's all like your standard fare until suddenly they see a train approaching. At high speed dom's not going to slow down because he's not going to give up that easily and brian's not going to slow down because he's not going to let dom get away and so suddenly the stakes aren't just will he go to prison will he get away it's are these people going to survive and they're willing to risk their lives not just for the adrenaline rush not just for the sake of justice but like for each other's respect right that's how it's set up in the film it's just constantly amping itself up going faster and faster and higher emotional stakes constantly and that's
1: the whole film. When I saw that final scene, I must confess, I was filled with watching it, an immense sort of sense of relief. That relief being that I'd never have to watch this film ever again. <laughs> that is my opinion on it. But credit to it, the car chases aren't bad. That's
0: my summary. <laughs> I also loved the music. Oh, that I have to say, this mm. is definitely my kind of soundtrack. Uh, wh- you weren't so keen. No. No. Not so- what, was it just it noise noise. You? It
1: was very loud noise that was meant to look cool. <laughs> Um, But I'll tell you what does have a really good soundtrack. Have you ever heard the soundtrack to a film called
0: Crash? I have, and uh, let me just introduce it. That's a good idea. Best segue I've ever done. (laughs) It started off so smooth and then it just kind of crashed. (laughs) Crash is a 1996 erotic thriller written and directed by David Cronenberg. After a near-fatal car crash, producer and emotional husk James Ballard gets involved in a group of car crash enthusiasts. How close will James' new addiction take him to the edge?
1: This film is very graphic. It's almost pornographic, but it's not. Because that's not what it's it's trying to do. So if you're of a squeamish disposition, this film is not for you. It's just not. So it's a, just to warn you on that, I think this is a stunning film. I'm quite astonished
0: by it. Well, I'm glad one of us is.
1: The thing is, is like I I also hated it as well as loved it. I must confess, it took me half an hour to get into it because I couldn't understand why I was meant to empathise or feel anything with these characters and that's the sort of the magic of this rather horrific film is that you're not meant to empathise with the characters. You're watching them from the outside and that's very much in the way in which they speak the way in which they act the way in which it's shot and I really do think in many ways it's a bit of a masterpiece but it's also horrific
0: sorry how can you say that about this film and not say about The Weatherman (laughs) not every character is meant to be likeable and you finally figured that out I mean I'm happy it's happened eventually but it could have happened sooner with a film that I liked
1: one day (laughs) ten years in the future maybe I'll give it another go
0: In 40 years, when you're in a care home, peeled out of your mind, <laughs> you'll sit down and watch and be like, oh, this wasn't so bad. Yeah,
1: well, there was a bit that was all right in it. And I must confess, I've got no clue what any of the characters are called. You said one, of them, the lead guy was called James. Well, the
0: thing is with his wife, like they're married, but they clearly don't particularly like each other. And what they seem to talk about more than anything else is other people they can sleep with. And, you know, that, that's a strong opening relationship.
1: The, the thing is, what, the very start of this movie is her stroking her breast on a plane or a car. We don't actually see what it is. And it's being very sensual. And then she starts uh, having sex with someone else. And all that sensuality goes... And that brings you into the movie. Mm. That is, it's a bit like in *Who Framed Roger Rabbit* when they drive through the Looney Tunes tunnel. You're going through that tunnel of sort of being removed from all the sort of sensuality of the movie to watching it from this clinical sort of way. Yeah. And there's a bit later on where she and, and James Ballard, she's asking about another character and about different parts of his body. But rather than describing them in any sort of sexualized way, it, it's like a, it's like reading a biology textbook. She says, "Have you seen his penis?
0: Um, or <laughs> have you seen his anus and stuff like?" Like that
1: and it, it, and I actually wrote down uh, the dialogue is awful and then I crossed it out and went no it's clinical and it's actually really really very clever mm. um, and that is how the whole film is shot a bit like watching a sort of raunchy version of Twin Peaks
0: yeah like you're saying the dialogue is tilted and detached but if you look at the words and the way they're written they are actually communicating clearly and succinctly and with a lot of wit it's just the delivery is cold and detached and that I think like you've been saying that it forces a sense of alienation which you don't normally have with films. Normally, films are doing everything they can to draw you in, to make you pay attention to them and to empathise with the characters. And this is doing exactly the opposite. It's
1: a bit like The Fast and The Furious in some way, in that I didn't empathise any of the characters in that in any way whatsoever. <laughs> and I had no emotional attachment or anything to them. But in that film, I was meant to, whereas <laughs> in this, I'm not meant to empathise with the characters.
0: Or which characters in particular did you like?
1: Uh, Vaughn. He has this sort of superhuman, to me, quality to him as in first of all he looks like he's dead for most of it he's got this sort of very
0: yeah i was gonna say he looks subhuman subhuman (laughs) subhuman superhuman is not how i would describe him superhuman might be the
1: wrong wrong phrase in the essence that he is he's not really part of this world at all Mm. And, and the way in which he acts throughout the film he's like a spirit really he's almost not really there And I was wondering at one point whether it was going to turn out that he never existed in the first place. But he does, just so you don't think I've spoiled that for you.
0: Just to explain, Vaughn is completely fascinated with car crashes and goes along and takes photos of them. And then what he does is he spends his free time organising and orchestrating events where he puts on reconstructions of famous car crashes. Mm. And we're introduced to him playing the part of a mechanic when James Dean suffers a fatal car crash. And... (laughs) He explains that in order to fully, uh, to replicate it authentically, there are no roll cages, there are no seat belts, and there are no airbags. And they're relying on the skill of their stunt drivers to ensure their safety. Yeah, <laughs> But it's very obvious. They're just smashing cars into each other. Yeah. There is no skill. There is no safety. It's, I mean,
1: but it's, that scene is so captivating when he's describing the whole thing. And it's the way it's shot. And for a film where the characters are quite withdrawn and not emotional, mm. it's, really captivating. The thing that astonished me about Vaughn is he sort of brings you into this world but at the same time the world doesn't really exist. So you mentioned like mm. he photographs car crashes but he's photographing all these car crashes in the middle of a traffic accident and nobody's
0: stopping him. Mm. So much of the film is shot like his photographs of the crashes. For the most part I think it's close-ups. You're looking at details of the cars and of the people. You're not generally seeing a very wide view where you can get the context and when you are getting a wider view there's generally so much going on that it's impossible to make out distinctly what one shape is and where another one begins until right at the end when you've got just a shot of finally uh james and his wife are enjoying a passionate moment together completely cut off from the rest of the world but by the side of a road after having a car accident of their own
1: um, I mean, the, the thing is, as well, is that, there's, as you say, there's close-up shots and these are astonishing. And it's a bit earlier on in the film where he's he's basically, just after having the accident, he gets back to driving. But he he's clearly sort of itching for another sort of crash, uh, you know, it's, mm-hmm. that sort of fetishization, Because he's trying to take his seatbelt off, but he just, he's doing it subconsciously, like he's scratching his shoulder.
0: But it's like, it's one of those really subtle symbolic moments that I think this film is full of. And that's, that's his strength. Um, yeah. I didn't particularly like the, the delivery of it. I don't think I'd recommend this film. <laughs> I wouldn't recommend this to anyone. I thought it was great. I just wouldn't recommend it. I think there are better surreal films out there. That's my problem. But one of the moments I really liked in this is this uh, scene really late in the film. It's in a car showroom. <laughs> we spoke before and you said you really didn't like this scene. No. So James is in... Um, he goes to a car showroom with a woman who's in like a half-body cast because she's, you know, suffered a car accident and it's like completely destroyed her body and she says to the salesman that she wants to see if she can fit into a car made for normal people. Mm. And when she's climbing into the car, one of the hooks on her leg brace gets stuck on the leather seat and it has to be ripped out by the salesman. I can understand if you're just watching this film from like a story perspective, it doesn't make any sense. But if you look at it like in terms of like symbols and themes, then this is one of the richest scenes in the film because what it's saying is that she is stuck. There is something about her that is stuck onto the car. And that's true of the rest of the group they hang out with. All of them are in some way trapped and caught. And I think part of that is shown in the fact that because the film is shot in detail so often, you don't see the moment that causes this erotic arousal for the characters. You never fully understand the event that draws them back in again and again and that's again part of the alienation of this film as opposed to the fast and the furious where it goes to great lengths to show you what it is that's exciting about driving fast cars there are visual effects the editing cutting the scene to the music all builds that scene of this is the thing that they're after but in crash you never see the thing it's always you know just out of reach and as a result i think that's where the characters their sexuality comes into and it fills that gap yeah because you know It's never about the people they're having sex with. It's always about the crash that's happened just before.
1: I I don't think I had an issue with the scene necessarily. My my problem was it's sort of shunted in Mm. and you're you're following this sort of linear sort of line and then this suddenly happens. that could have happened almost at any point after the first half hour. And Mm. I get exactly what you mean by about why the scene works and and why it's clever, but it is shoehorned in. And I think unnecessarily. And then the other thing they do that, that happens shortly afterwards, where James is sort of having sex with this lady's leg because of the shape of a, a scar on the back of her leg. Mm-hmm. And uh, it, it's one of these things where I felt it could have been better incorporated into the film. It, it just seemed very random to me, even though, as you say, there was a point to that scene and the fact that they are they are very much trapped.
0: I think I would have liked it more if the scenes didn't necessarily fit together so sequentially. Okay, um, There is a quote uh, about halfway through when James is talking to Helen, the wife of a man who he killed in that car crash right at the beginning. Mm. And James is talking to her about Vaughn and how Vaughn has taken photos of her having sex with various men in cars. Mm. And James asked, did you fantasize that Vaughn was shooting these as though they were traffic accidents? She said, yes, they felt like traffic accidents because these characters don't have a healthy way of living with each other. To them, they're just kind of driving around their lives at full speed, occasionally crashing into each other. And the fallout of that is a catastrophe every time. Mm. These aren't healthy characters, they don't have ways to communicate effectively and healthily and establish boundaries and the rest of it. It's just random collisions, just like the cars. And I would have liked it if the scenes and the editing reflected that hmm i it's
1: yes i can see that and that's interesting it might work can i add two very quick things on this yeah yeah so first of all the daily mail tried to get it banned in britain and it was actually banned <laughs> in the westminster area for some bizarre reason but only there
0: yeah but they tried to ban all kinds of things don't they
1: sam the eagle sort of summed it up in the muppets when he said you are
0: all weirdos <laughs> <laughs> and that's how i describe crash So by the sounds of it, you have less of a problem with the nudity in this film than you do in The Fast and the Furious.
1: In this film, it serves a purpose to some extent. I I must confess, I I did feel there were bits where the nudity wasn't really needed. And there's bits where, for example, where Vaughn and James's wife in in the film sort of make out in the the back of a car in a car wash, which is a really great scene in it. And it's not actually that much nudity in that at all.
0: no. But interestingly enough, the scene immediately after that Mm -hmm. is when she's covered in bruises like she's just been in a car crash. Yeah. And I think that goes to support my point that for these people, their relationships are all car crashes. They're Mm. all just destructive. The the
1: love scene in the car wash is is represented by the fact that it's a very mechanical sort of process for both of the characters, as as you're saying, which is in turn become a bit of a, a sort of car crash in terms of the, the sort of bruises and stuff that you were saying she's got. Yeah. Um, I mean, in, in this film, at least, the eroticism goes to prove a point, whereas in The Fast and the Furious, it's just a bunch of sort of women being forced to be very cold, probably, and to make it look sexy.
0: I think that in both of them, the nudity and the sexuality, it, it creates a mood. <laughs> And it, the, sure, they're to different effects and there's a lot more of the kind of stuff going on in Fast and the Furious in Hollywood. Whereas in yeah in Crash, it seems like it serves the opposite purpose. It's creating a mood of coldness and uh, alienation as opposed to trying to just rev up the emotions.
1: If I may quote John Pertwee as the Doctor to sum up my thoughts on both of these films. <laughs> a straight line may be, yeah. he, might, he might be quoting some other famous philosopher, a straight line may be the quickest route between A and B but is by no means the most interesting. And to me, The Fast and the Furious is that straight (laughs) straight line, that drag line, whatever it is. And Mm -hmm. Crash isn't even really a line, is it? It's just a Rorschach test. (laughs) Um, If you make it out on the other side, well done to you.
0: On that tangent of Rorschach tests, I think in some way, you know, all films, all stories are Rorschach tests that says more about you than it does about the filmmaker. Sometimes I've wondered if if theatre is like inherently better than cinema Mm. in that sense, because you can watch one play being performed in like a dozen different ways by different directors, different casts, different adaptations, whatever. But with cinema, you normally just get like the definitive version. And it seems like in a way it's that much poorer for it. But, you know, watching these films, I realised that it is also true in cinema that you can have films that do the same story as other films, even though in, in cinema, for some reason, that's generally mocked. But like from Homer to Hans Christian Andersen to Shakespeare and Disney films, it's not uncommon for stories to be appropriated and adapted over and over again to fit the needs of the storyteller. Yeah, And to me, Fast and Furious and Crash are basically the same story, or, ba- or at least they have the same like kernel. And I just want to take a moment to outline what that is. Mm. So these films are basically about two groups of people who find themselves in a world that is cruel and doesn't really make sense. And they're people who organize themselves around driving cars dangerously and the thrill they get from that. Yeah. And I think that the specific ways they organize themselves doesn't really matter. The stories they tell themselves about why these things are important to them mm-hmm. doesn't really matter. If you like Vaughan has this whole philosophy about how the human body is reshaped by technology and then how <laughs> the car crash is a fertilizing rather than a destructive event. <laughs> and these are obviously nonsense yeah. phrases they're just stories he's constructing to try and give a sense of like respectability to what Mm -hmm. he's doing rather than (laughs) car crashes make me horny (laughs) which is you know fine and valid for him but i think if you take this kind of perspective it really allows you to see what's interesting about films and the way they deal with the same theme so differently because the fast and the furious is very much trying to be like a moral story with something to say about good and healthy relationships that build you up and enable you to be your best self Mm. whereas my favorite thing about crash is that it doesn't do that it goes in saying that the world doesn't make sense it's a scary place and then it refuses to give you meaning right until the very end and it says you have whatever feeling you have about this and that is that david cronenberg doesn't feel the need to hold your hand all the way through And even though it's not my favourite film, I can respect it for that.
1: That's that's what I think, yes. I think you summed up a lot of things that I really like about the film. I get what you mean by about the Fast and the Furious, about people being disenchanted and and all this sort of stuff, and and they're getting mean for their lives with cars. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, that's like two or three scenes in an hour and 45, whatever it is, movie. And the rest of it is just people saying rubbish one-liners and product placement <laughs> the only kernel that I can really see in the Fast and the Furious would probably be Colonel Sanders so they can get him in for some product placement Hey-o. it's just rubbish It's I, I Well, it's not. I, I feel like I'm undermining it too much it's not just rubbish there is something
0: in there hey look if you didn't like it that's fine Chris you don't have to there, like there, it there, there is something
1: in there there is a kernel in there somewhere but you can't get to it because you're just fighting your way through all these sheaves of corn
0: I think it says a lot that there have been something like what nine sequels to Fast and the Furious
1: yes and uh, there's and never been a sequel to Crash, which is which is coming. Yeah, <laughs> thank heavens. But that is commented on in the great film Grimsby, starring Sacha Baron Cohen, where he basically says people like the Grimsby character. The reason the Fast and Furious films exist, you know, um, <laughs> it's, and which is very very harsh.
0: Yeah, well, I mean, what does Sacha Baron Cohen know about making sequels? I've seen Borat too. <laughs>
1: <laughs> um, I think we have to stop there before we start talking about Borat, because no, <laughs> we did not make this podcast to talk about Borat. Uh, we just did not. I think this is this is the end of this episode. No! Um, if people do want to get in touch, you can tweet us at, at History Reynolds or at reeseDS. Uh, you can Instagram reese at whatever... The inst- however you Instagram uh, do you gram someone on Instagram or do you Insta them um, I don't know what it is
0: yeah I think they're bringing it out in imperial measurements as well so if you wanted an Insta ounce I think that'll be available yep, soon yeah you can
1: Insta ounce Reese. that'll be absolutely fine um, <laughs> next week we're going to be looking at Clue and Dungeons and Dragons spoiler warning <laughs> spoiler warning one of those films I'm not going to like but let's see what happens I'm sure it's going to be fun I think it will be and in the meantime stay safe and uh Don't watch The Fast and the Furious.
0: No, do watch it. Do. Go out and watch it. Watch all of them. Watch them again and again and again.
1: Yes. And then watch Crash. (laughs) Bye. Bye. What I'll do is I'll come up with a list of motorway things. Junction four, and then we'll just make up a joke about junction four. Or just,
0: just shout shout car words at me. I'm sure eventually one of them is bound to be funny. Brake oil, <laughs> underpass, gear stick, what boot. <laughs>